is a good morning. Uh, welcome to those online as well, those who are just joining us now that there's seats in the room. Welcome. Uh, as the horde has left, uh, the Lord remains, uh, and you do as well. So it's good, and thank you to our musicians, our worship team, just helping us to pursue Christ. You know, our mission here is to find Christ, help people find Christ and find community, and I think... Uh, we're seeing, seeing that happen in great ways. Uh, and today as well, we just want to look at his word, help you find Christ for today. Find, you know, as he described it as the daily bread, it sustains your, your uh, spirit, feeds your spirit. And uh, today, we hope we don't miss out on that, on that very uh, thing. And, you know, the idea behind it is that we would get really familiar and comfortable with opening this book and opening our hearts to it, that it would become something that happens every single day. And we grow in him, hear his voice. And my prayer today is that you would, as I, would hear his voice today. My voice is a little messed up. Uh, I, I beat a man cold this week, so if I break into coughing fits, yeah, I know you can cheer. That was pretty, it was epic. It was, it was pretty good. That was pretty good. Um, but uh, today, just praying for uh, his strength to just be able to speak this as clearly as possible. So um, last, uh, last week, we talked about the point. Anybody remember what the point is? Point is the point to the point, and who's the point? Christ. Everything that in 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 our in our world, everything in His Word, it's pointing to Him. What we do today, this worship, um, music, it's to point to Him. As we study His Word, it's to point us in our hearts to Him, because finding Christ is the point. Pray for that child. The butt whooping he is about to receive. <laughs> Just kidding. I'm just kidding. It's from a movie. It's uh, just kidding. Let's. Uh, if you're watching online, welcome to our crazy family. We'll start now. Easter's coming, eh? Easter is coming, and uh, it as well is the story uh, about the whole point of of all of this uh, thing called Christianity and following Christ. It's a very famous uh, famous story, and so is the week before Easter. It's also a very famous story. What we're talking about today, you're like, well, I've heard about this before. And you have, and uh, you know, Easter's a big day, but it's almost like birthday week. You know, anybody celebrate birthday week? Yeah, a few of us, I know. You don't have to be ashamed of that. That is a, like, maximize. You only get so many, so you might as well celebrate, like, the whole week. Others are, like, more familiar with, like, Super Bowl week, where the Super Bowl is here, and they take a week off just to, like, get ready for it and talk uh, about what's gonna, what's happening, what's coming up. Same with Palm Sunday. It's, like, the first day of birthday week. It's, like, it's coming. It's not yet, but, man, we're already excited about it. And so, you know, the, it's the, that excitement for a big event, um, and uh, today, I just want to title the message, If I Had Been There. If I Had Been There. And so if you're taking notes, and I would encourage you to. If you brought your own notebook, awesome. You're, you're, you're realizing this is something we do. If not, there's usually note papers in front of you. Grab one, grab a pen, jot down some of these thoughts. Today. I'll try to make them as simple as possible. But more so that you would hear what his voice is for you in this. In our family, every Monday, we get together and we chat about uh, what, those, what, what the points were as a, as a family. And what did it say? What did it speak to my kids, to my wife, even uh, to myself? And I, I hope that it would be an encouragement to you as well. Why do I title it that? If I had been there. You ever meet people, you know, you're talking to them and then they're like, well, if I had been there. And you know that what's coming next is like, they're, they're going like, to be the hero of whatever this story is. If they had been there, it would have been fine. If they had been there, it would have gone differently. 
You know those videos, sometimes you see a video online where a guy, you know, he dresses up like a homeless person. He's not homeless. He's like a millionaire. And uh, he dresses up like a homeless person. And people who hand him money, he actually says, oh, no, I'm not actually homeless. And then hands them twice as much. <laughs> Ever seen those videos? You should watch them. They're cool. So this guy, you know, dresses up and, and you know, some people hand him like a, t- a, to- a, a toonie and he'll give him back, you know, he's like, oh, I'm not homeless. Hands him four bucks or 10 bucks is 20. And then you have those people like, well, if I had been there, I would have given him 10,000. I'm like, no, you wouldn't. You don't carry $10,000 around with you. Like, of course, of, of course, watching back, you, you say that that's what you would do. But I dare you. Just go down to Hound Hamilton, find a homeless guy and give him $10,000. Oh, wait a second, you know, no, no, but if I had been there, I would have. We, we kind of have this thing. People do it with Bible stories all the time, too. I find it very humorous, you know. Uh, I don't know how many times I've heard people say, you know, well, if I had been Eve, I wouldn't have fallen for that trick. Come on now, like it's a talking snake. Like, I would never have fallen for that. And it's the same people who bought Abflex, the thigh master, and have fallen for all kinds of MLM diets. Some of you old enough to remember those things. If I was there, I, I wouldn't have. And then, no, I've just offended many of the women, I understand. But for the guys, too, you know, like hearing the story of Samson and like, man, the, that, that evil temptress Delilah. I'm like, oh, man, if I had been there, like maybe the first time, but I wouldn't have fallen for all of her tricks over and over and over again. And all we got to do is check your Internet history. And see, oh, and I know it. Now I offended all the men. So we've, we've got that out of the way. But isn't it true? We, we had this thought, like, if I had been there, it would have been different. But we also have this thought, if I had been there, I actually would be different than I am today. And the truth is, if we had been there, we probably would be very much like what we've done today. We often read into the story uh, of the Bible, and we read ourselves into it. And we read like David and Goliath, and we we're like, we're automatically the hero. Nobody reads David and Goliath like, I'm Goliath. No, they don't. They're like, David, all he had to do was like, trust the Lord, he could take down his giant. Well, I'm David, obviously, so man, I got a giant debt to take down. How am I going to do that? Lord, I pray that this catch the ace ticket is my stone to take down my giant debt. Well, last week didn't work, Lord. This week, we're we're getting more stone, right? I have people who are like, man, if we win, we're going to give the church all the money so you can build a building. I would love that, but it didn't happen. Well, he hasn't given to us yet. If you know the winner, let him know. Let him know. But... You know, what are we doing when we do that? We're reading this wrong. You know, we're looking into here and we're like, oh yeah, you know, I'm seeing myself in the story. That story, they're not not about you in that sense, that they're they're not your story. They're their story. But they were written for our benefit. And we know that because the scriptures tell us in 1 Corinthians 11, verse 10, Paul tells the Corinthians, says, hey, the things that happened to the people back then, they're for our example Look at what happened to them, and don't picture yourself going back, and you would have done different. Learn from their example, because you probably would have done the same. In Romans chapter 15, Paul writes to the Romans and says, the scriptures were written to teach us. There's something we need to learn from these old stories, and most famously, 2 Timothy 3, as Paul writes to this young pastor, Timothy I'll put this one on the screen for you. We're going to turn to the rest. 2 Timothy 3.16 says this, all scripture... He's inspired by God, and many are like, yeah, that's the New Testament, man. Except there was no New Testament then. Paul was writing it. 
And he writes to Timothy, he says, listen, all those old stories in Scripture, they're all inspired by God, and they're useful to teach us what's true. They make us realize what's wrong in our lives. They correct us when we're wrong and teach us to do what's right. And God uses them to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. So he's saying, like, don't, don't read into it as if you were the hero. That's not the point of the story. But if you had been there, which one would you have been most like? Allow it to speak to you. Uh, allow to see, if you had seen what they saw, what would you have done? Not, not what would you do if you were there, not like if you were those people. If you are you and you saw what they saw, how would you honestly respond? And that's what the gospel writers were attempting to do with everything they wrote. Was like, let's write a historical event of what we saw so that people who read this can see it. That they might see it. And as they see it, that they would respond to what they see. And so we're going to take a look at that this morning. Um, and you can turn to uh, Luke chapter 19. Actually, all four of the gospel writers, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they all tell us the details of the story. We're going to look at uh, Luke's primarily, and we'll find some of the other details and some of the others. We're going to we're just going to read through it as it is, as it was written, as we can see it through the eyes of the eyewitnesses who told Luke, and we can see it through the eyewitness eyes of Matthew himself as he writes this. Here we go. Got your Bibles? Luke 19, verse 28. If you have the same version as, as me, feel free to read along. If it's confusing, you can just read along on the screen. It says this, after telling the story, Jesus went on towards Jerusalem, walking ahead of his disciples. And as he came to the town of Bethphage and Bethany on the Mount of Olives, he sent two disciples ahead. He says, go into that village over there, he told them. And as you enter it, you're going to see a young donkey tied there that no one's ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. And if anyone asks, hey, why are you untying that colt? Just say, the Lord needs it. And so they went and they found the colt, just as Jesus had said. And sure enough, as they were untying it, the owners asked him, hey, why are you untying that colt? And the disciples simply replied, the Lord needs it. So they brought the colt to Jesus. They threw their garments over it for him to ride on. And as he rode along, the crowd spread out their garments on the road ahead of him. And when he reached the place where the road started down the Mount of Olives, all of his followers began to shout and they began to sing as they walked along. They were praising God for all the wonderful miracles that they had just seen. Their song went like this, blessing on the king who comes in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven, glory in highest heaven. Some of the teachers among the crowd said, teacher, rebuke your followers for saying things like that. And he replied, if they keep quiet, then the stones along the road are going to burst into jeers. But as he came closer to Jerusalem and he saw the city ahead, Jesus began to weep. How I wish today that you of all people would understand the way to peace. You can hear him. Now it's too late. Peace is hidden from your eyes. Before long, your enemies will build ramparts against your walls and encircle you, close in on you from every side. They will crush you into the ground, your children with you. Your enemies won't leave a single stone in place because you do not accept your opportunity for salvation. Now, if you can flip back towards the left to Matthew chapter 21, we're going to finish the rest of the story from Matthew's account. Matthew 21, verse 12. 
Jesus had just entered Jerusalem and it says Jesus entered the temple. 21 verse 12. Jesus entered the temple, began to drive out all the people buying and selling animals for sacrifice. He knocked over the tables of the money changers and the chairs of those selling the doves. And he said to them, the scriptures declare that my temple will be called a house of prayer, but you've turned it into a den of thieves. After that, the blind and the lame came to him in the temple and he healed them. The leading priests and the teachers of religious law, they saw these wonderful miracles. Remember that. And they heard even the children in the temple shouting, Praise God for the Son of David! Praise God for the Son of David! But the leaders were indignant, and they asked Jesus, Do you hear what these children are saying? Yes, Jesus replied. Haven't you ever read the scriptures? For they say, You have taught children and infants to give you praise. And then he returned to Bethany where he stayed overnight. So you read that story and picture that story like, Yeah, it reminds me of, you know, Good old kids' church. I remember this day in kids' church. We'd like we'd make our own uh, palm branches to wave. Or I remember this story about Jesus riding in. I'm, I'm, I remember that. You know, and oftentimes as we read through Scripture, like I said, our tendency is to read ourselves in as we're the hero. But I challenge you not to do that today, because that's Jesus, and you're gonna have a hard time measuring up. But I didn't ask it rather of the supporting cast that we see around Jesus. The ones that we see around him, we're more likely to, to learn from their, from their accounts and their responses, from their example. And I encourage us to think about that. There were some types of people around there, and there's those same types of people in this room today. Same types of people listening online. Same types of people in our families. Same type of people in our, you know, in our, in our friend groups. I say, which one? Which one, if I'm honest, is one that speaks to me through their example? And what am I going to do with that? I pray we hear Holy Spirit's voice today in this way. You know, so first, first of the four, first one, they all start with C, so they're easy to find. Number one is the crowd. You can write it down, the bandwagon crowd. Think about this. For them, they've been waiting for the big event for their whole life, and this could be the big event. Like, not like, like well, you think about it. Have you ever had those once-in-a-lifetime events happen? Uh, something, something that you, you, know, you were looking forward to or was predicted and then it happened and you were, you were part of it. I think like some of those, a, a couple, maybe about a month ago, I was uh, outside at night and I was, I was looking up uh, past my driveway and I saw these two planes and they were flying like pretty close to each other. I could just see the lights, right? It was pretty bright. And I was like, man, man. And I'm like, man, those planes, they're not moving. I thought, this is weird. So I'm looking at the planes and I'm like, Maybe it's aliens. Like, they're not like, maybe it's surveillance or something. It was over, you know, Stelco. I'm like, man, what's going on over there? It's like, I, I don't know what this is. And I asked, you know, one of my buddies, like, hey, have you seen that? He's like, yeah, I saw that. It was like that last night, too. I'm like, weird. And then I found out it was Jupiter and Venus. And they kind of like every, so that, some of you saw that, too? Your minds didn't go there? All right, okay. So those, those three, those, those two planets, every three and a and a half years, they kind of come close to each other, but it's every nine years they'll be like that. And I thought, man, I thought, like, when I first saw it, I was like, oh, I've witnessed, like, this thing that never, ever happens. Like, ah, it's only nine years. So it's once in a, night, a lifetime for a nine-year-old, but for me, I, I would have had that opportunity a few more times. It's not, not that significant. But how many of you remember Halley's Comet? Halley's Comet. We're going way back, 1986. If you weren't born then, you don't remember Halley's Comet. But back, back before then, I was like nine years old, and there was this thing, everybody's talking about Halley's Comet. It's going to be visible. It's going to come by, and everybody, you'll be able to see Halley's Comet. And I'm like, man, I'm not that interested. We'll see it next time. Well, that's 75 to 79 years later. 
I'm like, oh, no. I missed like a once-in-a-lifetime event. It isn't going to happen again. Might in your lifetime. Probably not mine. These are these once-in-a-lifetime things. Other things, maybe, probably not going to happen. Like Leafs winning the cup. I'm like, that's a once-in-someone-else's-lifetime. Not mine. But I would love to be there for that. Because it's one, one of those things that man, I would remember. But this, this event that happened this day was more than that. It's like a once-in-a-history type event. This only happens once in history. And the thing is, the people of Jerusalem knew about this event. They knew that it was coming at some point. There have been prophecies that have been told that this moment would happen. They didn't know every detail. They knew enough. They knew it was going to happen in Jerusalem that God would send a Savior, that God would send a Messiah, a rescuer, that God was actually going to come as himself. And, and there would be signs to recognize him. One was, he would be, this king, this rescuer was going to ride in on a donkey. These were things that they knew. And so then they, they started thinking, you know, the people in that moment, they started thinking about it. And they're like, well, we've just seen incredible signs that this might be the guy. Not only is he riding on a donkey, but we saw what he just did for our buddies. You know, Matt and Bartimaeus and Lazarus. Remember Matt from a few weeks ago, the, the lame man laying on the mat? That's why we call him Matt. We don't know his name. But he, but he had a name. And they'd be like, man, we saw he was lame. And they lowered the roof. And then he's not lame anymore. Jesus did that. And we like, blind Bartimaeus, we just came from his town. He was blind, now he's not blind anymore. And Lazarus was laying blind and dead, and he's not dead anymore. Like this, nobody does this. And there's these signs that pointed to Jesus, and they're like, this could be that moment. And so the crowd, they begin to follow Jesus. They're like, man, we don't know, but we're going we're gonna to go. This, this could be the thing. And as they go, they start shouting these songs, Hoshana, Hoshana, uh, which means save us now. And they start picking up palm branches and waving them. And uh, what we can learn from history is that those palm branches were their symbol of the, the Jewish nation. The Maccabees earlier, about a century earlier, had, had this great conquest, and, and that was their symbol, the palm branch. And so as, as Jesus is riding in, they're like, it's him. He's the guy who's going to solve all Israel's problems. They, they're waving their palm branches along. This guy is going to solve all of my problems. And then they followed him down the road. They're like, this is it. We're part of this big event. They go through the gates into the temple. And there was a process that happened for new kings in Israel. When a new king went in, that king was going to assume the throne, but there was a journey there. They would go to the temple first where they would be proclaimed the new king. And if there was already another king, you can read through, the, through, the, through um, Kings and Chronicles, they would go and they would hunt that other king down and then they would execute him. And then they'd find all of his kids and they'd execute all of them so that nobody else could take the throne and then they would assume the throne. And here, this is kind of what they're picturing might just happen as Jesus is walking through there. And like, some of them may have wondered, like, what are we, how's this going to happen with Roman rule? But... Who cares? There's a new king. There's a new king. And they watched Jesus walk down to the temple. They watched him. They followed him down there, assuming he's going to take the throne. But he doesn't announce that he's, you know, the Messiah. He doesn't head over to the, to the, um, to the palace to have a duel with King Herod. He just goes right into the temple and he starts flipping the tables. And he starts throwing stuff around and they're like, okay, this isn't, this isn't how this goes. And the crowd begins to like, okay, wait a second, step back. You know, we, we, we're with this guy, we're with this Oh no, hold on. Maybe we're not with this guy. We, we don't know. What does Jesus say? This temple, this was a place of relationship with God. And you guys have changed. You've filled it with so many distractions. You've, you've made it a den of thieves. And the crowd is like, oh, how will we respond? We find out a few days later how they respond. But they were one of the ones around. 
Second was the rejecting critics. The critics. Luke actually tells us that Jesus is weeping as he's entering Jerusalem. And why is he weeping? He actually is weeping for those who should have recognized him, but they were the very same ones to reject him. Why should they have recognized him? Man, they had been raised all their life on the scriptures. All their life they have been studying to see and find the one that these point to. And Jesus has said it before. You don't realize that they're pointing to me. And now as he rides in Jerusalem, he's like, you had your chance to see that it was pointing to me. And you didn't see it. And in fact, it was these rejecting critics that didn't just see it. They stood against it. And they said, Jesus, Jesus, stop your followers from, from shouting out your praises as if you were the son of God. And I think that's where Jesus invented the slogan, like, have you, you know, the, the, are, are you like dumber than a rock? You're like, what, what? Jesus says to these guys, you familiar with this term, dumb as a rock? Mm-hmm. Here, here Jesus says to these guys, like, why don't you stop them? He's like, the rocks are smart enough to praise me if these people don't. Are you not smart enough to realize that I'm the one? I'm the one. The rocks themselves would praise me. Well, these leaders in the temple, it says they saw the miracles Jesus did. And yet they were indignant that the children were shouting out, praise God for the son of David, which was a reference to this Messiah, this once in history event that it could have, that happened in their, in their lifetime. And they're like, man, this once in a lifetime event, and they, and they missed it. And they're like saying, stop these children, stop these children. And Jesus' response was brilliant. What does he ask them? I mean, even maybe with a wink as he looks over and he's like, hey, fellas, have you guys ever read the scriptures? I'm like, that's all we've ever done is read the scriptures. He's like, hey, and he quotes Psalm 8, verse 2. When they're like, stop these children. He's like, haven't you ever read that it's out of the mouths of babes that God has perfected praise? That, That wording is that perfected praise for God. And he's giving them a chance to see that even these children have it right. And they're the third C, the children. You know, just a few chapters earlier, Jesus had been asking, who was greatest in the kingdom? What did he do? He grabbed a little kid. And like, I know, like we always think it's like, it was probably that little child who was like pristine. You know, they, there's no, they, you know, there's those people that have those kids, their clothes are perfect. They got the perfect hair. You know, they, they just look smarter than every other child. You know, I, I, he probably picked the kid who got taken out earlier today. Like, he's like, let's just grab a real kid. He's picking his nose three minutes ago. Come here, you know, come here. And, and sets, them, sets them down in front of everybody and says, hey, you want to know who's the greatest? I want you to be more like this child. Minus the nose picking, but be more like this child. And then he actually tags onto it and says, and be very careful what you do with children because I care about them incredibly. Be very careful what you do with these children because I care about them incredibly. And he says to them, these kids, they don't have like just a blind faith. They have a confident faith. They just trust. They're like, man, they say this is the, this is the son of David. This is the Messiah. Man, we're just going to celebrate him for who he is. There's no anxiety in their lives. There's no panic about what's going to happen. They, they don't even care. They're just like, man, we'll run through the temple and we will shout out the praises of who this is all about. They simply embrace the moment they were in. They were in the presence of Jesus. And they're like thrilled to death about it. 
ask this question. If you had been there, we say, oh, if I'd been there. But of the people who were there, which one would you say you're most like? The crowd? The critic? The children? You're like, I thought there was four C's. There is. Well, there's five. This C is for conclusion. As we wrap this up this morning, I want to point to those four. Give us a chance to see what would, what would it be like you know, if we, if we had been there, what would we have done? Which one of those are we most like? And the truth of it is this, that we would probably have done exactly what we are doing today. The truth is that you probably would have done exactly what you're doing today. Not what you think you would have done, but what you actually have done. And what does that look like? I would say it this way, that the bandwagon crowd, people that fall into that category today, They're the ones that praise Jesus as long as he's going to do what they want him to do. They're the ones who are like, oh, he could be the one who could save me from trouble? I'm in. Let's follow this guy. And what are their songs often? Oh, Lord, save me from the financial trouble I've got myself into. If you do this, I'll do that. If you save me from this, I'll follow you. If you go where I want you to go, man, I'm in. Lord, save me from my marriage trouble. I know I probably did it, but you can fix it. And if you do, I'll follow you. But my child's in trouble. Can you fix my child? Because then I'll know you're real, and I'll follow you. Physical trouble, health trouble. You get that thing from the doctor. Oh, you know, Jesus, if you heal me, then I'll believe. You better heal me, because that's why I'm following you. And that is their anthem and you hear it in their voices you never hear it in that same statement if you listen to the way they talk you're like oh yeah if God were to let them down they would be going the other way it's that bandwagon crowd what often they forget is this simple statement is that everything that he needed to do he's already done think about that for a moment Christ gave his life for us, what more does he really need to do? What more does he need to do? And for some of us, it's like, oh, you're right. Need to be reminded of the fact that there is nothing more that he needs to do. That he's done everything needed for me to follow. And you know, we we can all find ourselves in that place sometimes. Been there when things get overwhelming, like, oh, the, the, the doubt creeps in or whatever may creep in. It happens to everyone. John the Baptist, happened to him. You know, there's a story of John the Baptist in prison. John the Baptist, the one who pointed out and said, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. It's him. He's the Messiah, as he pointed out on the riverbank. John, a few, uh, yeah, probably a couple of years later, he's sitting in a prison cell. And all of a sudden, he's like, he's wondering, he's doubting. And he calls his followers, his disciples. He says, hey, go find Jesus and go ask him if he really is the one. Because I shouldn't be here if, if he's the one. Like, he's my cousin. Like, tell him to come bust me out or something. If he's the Messiah, if he saves people, have him come save me. And they're like, okay, we'll go find out. And they go and they ask him, hey, John's wondering, are you really the Messiah? And Jesus is probably like, man, John, you knew this from the, before you were born. The moment our moms met, you were jumping in the womb. You knew from the, from the get-go who I was. On the riverbank, you knew because you pointed it out and under the influence of the Spirit of God, look, it's the Messiah. You know, John, deep down, you know. But he says, hey, here's what I want you to do, guys. Just look what I'm doing. The blind see, the lame are walking, 
People are rising from the dead. Who do you think I am? I am who John said I am. Now go back and tell him. And at the end of it, he says, oh yeah, and tell him one more thing. Blessed are those who aren't offended, who don't turn away because of me. John, you might not be getting out of this, but don't turn away. Just because I didn't come through and save you the way you thought, it's not what this is about. We know John doesn't get out of that prison. But man, what a powerful thought for us. Some of us find ourselves in the, the roller coaster of life. You find yourself in the lows and think, you know, where is he? He's never changed. He's never changed. But what does it reveal in us? Oh, that maybe I fall in the category of bandwagon crowd. That I'm there for him when he's at the top, what he's doing for me. But when it gets down to here, I'll take a different, I'll follow something else. And that's not who we want to be. The second is this, the rejecting critics. Simply that, just simply thought that Jesus is just no big deal. Who are they? The ones raised on the scriptures. Man, how often we have churches full of people who know these scriptures. You raised, you knew every single Bible story, and yet you fail to realize that Jesus is a big deal. Like, oh, I don't know. Maybe it's sometimes a familiarity with who God is that we lose the respect and awe that he deserves. For some, it's like, oh, he's just the man upstairs. Jesus, he's my homeboy, you know. No, no, he's not. No, he's not. He's God. We're all creation. We, we wouldn't even speak if we had the opportunity to, to see him for who he is. He's a big deal. He is a big deal. I love how they said this morning, he's Lord. He's God. He's the king. He's the ruler of all. He's the way maker. He's the, he's the, the miracle worker. He's a promise keeper. He's the one worthy of highest praise and adoration. He is Jesus. He's the one risen from the dead. He is the point. It's what it's all about. Man, as we get into those places of worship, it's like you alone are holy. There's none like you. Man, Jesus, you are the biggest deal. Rejecting critics, they seem close. They know the story, but they don't know the one of the story. And if our response to, hey, let's worship Jesus together, is like, well, I'll wait for this one to be over. Oh, man. We're learning from their example, and the end of it isn't good for them. And then third, the trusting children, those who just celebrate his arrival with open arms. And I serve a risen Savior. I don't got it all perfect. It don't matter. He's... He's who he said he is. And man, I'm going to worship him with my whole heart and soul because of who he is. And I'm going to trust him. When I'm on the highs with him, I trust him. When I'm down here, God, I trust you. I trust you. I trust you. I trust you. It's not blind faith. I know and believe who you are. And I know you'll see me through. Because when the, when the, uh, I mean, when the horrible becomes wonderful, and we picture it with these people, that horrible was living under Roman occupation. It just became wonderful. We had no hope. Here's Jesus. We got hope. It's like, man, God is good. And how many times we see that? Somebody gets a doctor's report. Oh, got no hope. And then all of a sudden it's like, oh, you know, maybe we can do this, this, and this. You're like, oh, hope. God is good. Have it, you know. Oh, my kid got in a car accident. Like, oh, no. You know, God, where are you? And that's like, they survived. Oh, God is good. And then we, we, we do that often. These kids are like, Jesus, I trust you. I trust you. I trust you. I trust you. When Palm Sunday becomes Good Friday, I trust you. And when Good Friday becomes Resurrection Sunday, I trust you. And when they found that Resurrection Sunday was wonderful, became horrible, when Jesus is like, I'm leaving. 
And they're like, what? <laughs> we trust you. Because horrible became wonderful not too long later when Holy Spirit came and just flooded their lives and said, this is wonderful. You're arrested in jail. This is horrible. You see, you're like, man, sometimes my life is like that. That's a, you're in good company. You're in good company. But it was these kids who just, you know, simply realized they were smarter than rocks. They were like, we know, we're just going to praise him no matter what. Those people don't like it. I don't matter. We're going to worship him. We're going to praise him for who he is. Um, anybody remember Ron Canoli? Um, I know some of you are like, oh, that's a, I haven't heard that name in probably since 1995. Um, Ron Canoli, you should look him up. He wrote this song called Ain't No Rock Gonna Outpraise Me or Ain't Gonna Let No Rock Outpraise Me. I'm like, that's terrible grammar, but what a great song. Great concept. It doesn't matter what I'm going through. I'm going to praise him because not because of what I'm going through, because he deserves my praise. I want to be in that group. And then finally, the final C, it's the one maybe we don't always recognize, and it's the humble cult that carried Jesus down that path. I'm pretty sure none of us ever read ourselves into the story as the donkey. <laughs> You're like, wait a second, where are you going with this? Man, I'm reading this book called The Pursuit of God for the fourth time by A.W. Tozer, and it stirs up just this desire to pursue and know him more and more all the time. And uh, A.W. Tozer would end every chapter with a prayer, and he ends one of the chapters with this prayer. Uh, and it was in Old English, so I put it in New English. He just says this, Ride forth upon me as you rode into Jerusalem, mounted upon that humble little beast. And let me hear the children cry to you, Hosanna in the highest. Jesus, would you just use my life uh, just to simply carry you to the world and let me hear them praise you as a result. Others have stated the same thing in many different ways. John the Baptist said, Lord, let him, he must increase and I must decrease. Paul said, I count everything else in my life as lost that I might know him and be known by him. You know, I found it interesting as I wrap this up that, uh, you know, as the disciples, when they went and got that colt and they were un- disconnecting uh, from the, the post, what did the people say? What are, what are you doing? And what their response was, the Lord needs him. The Lord needs him. I thought, man, the Lord, like, you're God. You don't need anything. He's like, no, no, I needed that donkey. I needed that colt. You know what else I realized? That he needs us. He does. He needs us. You think, like, that seems like a little bit strange and odd, but think about this for a minute. You know, as Paul wrote to his letter to the Romans, he wrote to them and said, hey, like anybody who trusts in the name of Jesus will be saved. But how are they going to hear unless somebody tells them? They need somebody to tell them. And he's like, well, God will just come and do it. No, <laughs> no, he won't. He needs you to go and share what you've done. He needs you to go and carry Christ to them, to carry his love, his compassion, his hope, to carry it to them. It was what Jesus said to his followers right before he left. He's like, you go into all the world and share the good news. You go and tell them about me. And you're the body of Christ. You're his hands and feet. And for some, you're like, yeah, you know, but I don't know if I know enough. Exactly. We're the donkey. Nobody was looking at the donkey. It didn't matter. It was who he was carrying. And as you walk throughout life, it's like, may it be the set of us that it didn't matter, you know, what we look like or if we had all the right words, it was who we were pointing to, who we were carrying with us. We have the Spirit of God living on the inside of us, that He'll give you the words you need in the moment that you need them, if you'll trust Him. If you'd say, you know, I don't care what people think about me, let them see you, Jesus. That's all that matters. He will be seen through your life. 
He will, man, I don't know if you believe that from this, but man, you, he will be seen through your life. My prayer is that this little church, you know, as people come here and they're like, oh, your building's not that impressive. Doesn't matter. He's here. Amen. You know, those people, you have weird people in your church. Doesn't matter. <laughs> we carry him. You're like, ah, that band didn't play all the right notes. Doesn't matter. We're singing to him because he's the point. And so the question is, what about us? Are we still trying to achieve our own fame, our own reputation? Is that how we live our lives? What everybody thinks about me is like, I've just surrendered. I just want to carry him. Is life still about how everything affects us personally? Or is it like, no, you know what? Lord, help me to see how it affects and how you affect the rest of the world around me. Do we see that furthering his kingdom and pursuing him is truly the greatest thing that can be accomplished on this planet, the most important thing? And do we recognize and realize, wow, he needs me, and I'm happy to be I'm happy to, to work with him, for him, to serve him, and serve the world around me as a result. Find ourselves maybe in one of these places. And I encourage you to think about it because we're so tempted to say, well, if I had been there, <laughs> and that's my question today, if you had been there, which one of those would you have been like? And what does their example say to you today? Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the example those who've gone before, the good and the bad, thank you for what they teach us. Holy Spirit, thank you for your voice. That you actually speak to each and every one of us, even right now in this moment, of what you desire for us. Steps that, that you desire for us to take for your kingdom and for your glory. Lord, I pray you give us courage to be obedient. To walk that out just in grateful response to who you are. Father, we don't want to just be part of the crowd. We want to be the ones that step out in true fellowship and relationship with you. For those here today, God, who are close and they know the words, but they know the scripture and they know the story, but they don't know you. God, would you touch their hearts today? Would there be a glimmer, a glimpse in their heart today of who you truly are? May they respond. Lord, thank you for these gifts of children, even the ones here. Say such a blessing to our church family and our community. And Lord, what an example to us. May we trust like they trust. May we grow as they grow. Father, thank you. Thank you for taking the weak things in, our, uh, in this world and showing your strength through them. Sometimes we're those weak things. God, would you show your strength through us? Above all, Jesus, just ask that we would have that opportunities and experiences to carry you to our world, especially over this season. May our hearts and minds be set on you to the point where when people talk to us, it's you that we talk about. That we'd offer you the hope of the world, the only one who has eternal life. Jesus, thank you for saving us. As we prepare our hearts for Easter and what you did on that cross is... It's amazing every time we think about it. Lord, thank you for your grace and your mercy. Thank you for loving us enough to come and save us. And thank you for truly saving us. Thank you for setting us free. Thank you that shame has no place in our lives anymore because you are there. Thank you for freedom, for the power to live uh, with you as our master and no longer with sin as our master. I pray for freedom to happen even in this moment. That in your presence, there's the fullness of joy. 
Your presence is everything that we need for life and godliness. We believe that right now, Jesus. May we truly leave this place different because of our time together with you. May those who come in contact with us experience your presence, Lord. May you be glorified through our lives. We live them out in worship to you. (laughs) I love you, Jesus. You truly are amazing. truly are. It's in your name I pray. Amen. 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 We got a few um, questions just throw up on the screen, maybe to help you take it home with you today. Of the four, which do you feel like most speaks to you? What's the Lord speaking to you today? And what are you going to do with that? Two options, delay or obey. The first is easy. The second is better. Have uh, a great, great week. If you have kids in Kids Church, please go get them. Uh, And uh, we'll see you good Friday.